0: Alright, what's up guys? Welcome to another episode of the Grind Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Seth Swerzyk of Hornady Manufacturing. Did I say that right? Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for having me. Seth Swerzyk, you bought it. No, we're, we're excited about today's podcast. Today, we're going to go over um, bullet construction and design. So, you're a ballistician there at Hornady, a.k.a. Uh, bullet engineer, for those that well, maybe my- don't understand...
1: Ballistician? Yeah, we, we've got uh, uh, a fun job. There's only me and my uh, coworker that uh, that do the ballistics here at Hornady. So I'm not technically a, a bullet engineer. We've got a team of really gifted mechanical engineers that do the, the engineering side of manufacturing the bullet. But uh, yeah, we get to do a lot of fun stuff with R&D, designing new bullets, designing new cartridges. We get to do uh, all the testing. We get to use the big Doppler radar. Um, we get to do a lot of the, or all of the expansion testing, uh, for our existing products. It's just a, a
0: multifaceted job, but man, it's, it's fun. I, that's for sure. That's awesome. Well, we're, we're excited to have you today and for you to, uh, impart of your knowledge with us about bullets and, uh, the construction thereof. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, it's something that
1: not everybody has a good grasp on, um, that uses them. They might be, uh, unfamiliar with some of the design features or maybe they are but they don't quite understand them so uh yeah i think it's something that we can we can knock the dust off of and and provide some clarity for
0: yeah absolutely you know anyone that knows me i'm i'm rifle hunting is a huge passion of mine especially long range hunting and i think before we get started i mean uh long range hunting for me and not to get off on this tangent about long range hunting but it's it's not about backing up on the mountain to see how far i can get away from an animal ethically kill it it's it's being able to be put in those positions to execute and if it's last light and i have a buck of a lifetime or it's the last day of, of the season and this is my last opportunity to fill my tag i want to be able to be confident not only in my ability to shoot long range but my bullet to perform so that i can not only ethically kill that animal but also come home with meat in the freezer and a punch tag, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm in the same boat as far as, you know, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father, uh, I'm a worker, uh, tight schedules. I don't get a lot of time to, I don't get as much time as I want rather, uh, to be out in the field. And when I draw that tag and I'm out there and I have a limited window, you know, there's part of me that is out there simply to you know connect with nature and be on the mountain and, and get away from life for a while the other part is I'm out there to fill that tag and um, I want to be able to say I confidently able to to be in any situation and make a a good shot and yeah sometimes sometimes you can't get one yard further sometimes you don't get an extra day and to be able to uh, to be successful in that portion of the hunt uh, is rewarding and there's a lot of science that goes with it and that's fun and you can practice and practice and practice and still have your butt handed to you, but you can practice and practice and practice and you can get better and you can extend that range to what you feel comfortable and confident with. And uh, yeah, we're just trying to push the envelope with bullet performance um, so that the hunters that are out there have that option.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I just want to second that and get that out there. It's, It's definitely not an ego thing, but it's about becoming better. And I think that's what life's about. It's about Grinding, becoming better, and improving your talent, skill, knowledge all across the board. So, with that said, let's dive into some of the designs here: cup and core design versus monolithic design.
1: Absolutely. So that's that's kind of our our basic split between bullets. There's one in the middle that we didn't talk about, and we probably won't touch on too much, and that's a bonded bullet where it's kind of a cup and core that we do some other things with. But the the basis here is a cup and core. Now that's what we call a traditional bullet. So that's a bullet with a copper jacket and a lead core. That's what the majority of the bullets out there are. Um, and what we'll talk about first, we're going to go with monolithic. So monolithic, mono, it's one. So that's one material. The the core and the jacket are homogenous. They're all in one. Um, there's some benefits to that. Um, there are some manufacturing hurdles. You have to jump doing monolithic bullets, but um, they, they, like I said, they do have a very specific purpose and they do that purpose well. So with a monolithic bullet, you take a one core material, just a one cylindrical shaft of material, and you draw and form that into the bullet. So what you're going to get there is really high weight retention when you shoot it into an animal. The terminal performance, um, that bullet is going to retain almost all of its weight almost all of the time. Gotcha. Um, so really yeah really a good benefit there uh, another great purpose for that is when you're you know uh, rifle hunting elk in dark timber for example and your far shot's going to be 50 yards you know you're going to smell them before you can see them right and a monolithic bullet like that that retains so much weight at a high velocity close range impact that bullet is going to keep its integrity it's going to continue to penetrate um and in almost all cases with a gmx bullet you do end up with a uh with an exit wound i said gmx that's what we call our monolithic okay um, several others on the market
0: so that's what i was going to ask you next so those of you so those that aren't familiar with monolithic and what bullets might match that description in terms of hornady products that's a gmx what else that's that's really it we have
1: kind okay. of we've we just we try to blanket that so that there's no confusion um, a GMX bullet, that's going to be our uh, copper-zinc alloy. A lot of other manufacturers, uh, excuse me, manufacturers will just use copper. We add uh, zinc to ours, um, and it does a couple things for us, but one of the biggest things when you add zinc uh, is it's going to increase the lubricity of the, of the alloy. The copper uh, is going to be a little more slippery, and what that allows us to do is form the bullet through our draw and forming processes, a little bit smoother so if the material's not fighting you when you're trying to draw it um, it's going to help to make a more concentric and a more consistent bullet what do you mean um, draw so that, it so uh, a bullet when it starts life as far as gmx goes starts as a i'm going to call it a pellet uh, depending on the caliber and the size of bullet you're making let's say you've got a uh, a stick the about the thickness of a number two pencil mm-hmm. but only an inch tall okay and of that material, you have to hit it with dies and punches that form it and draw it. Uh, so as you draw it, it gets longer and thinner. Um, as you draw it and form it, that's how we put on, you know, the ogive and the the boat tail and the, or the flat base. That's how we get its shape as we draw it. Gotcha.
0: Okay. That makes sense. So do you have to heat it up during that process? No, no, you don't.
1: There is some heat generated when you're, you know, taking soft metal and hitting it with hard metal and making it shape up naturally it does generate okay. some heat, but no, you don't have to heat it up. Um, it's a pretty malleable material. And, uh, yeah, by adding the zinc, it allows us to do those draws and forming processes without the the material
0: fighting. If, if that makes sense. Um, gotcha. Kind uh,
1: of no, makes it total sense. from die to
0: die. That's but, interesting. So, so it's obviously has some zinc properties in it. And again, you guys, we're, we're still talking about the G, GMX bullet and the monolithic right. design. So, What's the rest of that material made up of? Just copper. Just copper. Uh, essentially about
1: 95% copper, 5% zinc. Another benefit of the zinc and adding lubricity is when you shoot it down the bore, one of the things that monolithic bullets are notorious for is fouling your bore at an accelerated rate, You know, leaving a lot of copper behind in the lands and grooves. And uh, the addition of the zinc uh, helps that bullet travel down the bore without shedding so much of that copper. So that's another benefit of
0: it. So the break-in period is going to be uh, less uh, laborious, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, you could. Yeah, it's, When it comes it's to shooting
0: five bullets, cleaning the copper out of your barrel, shooting five bullets, yep, you're going to get less of that with this monolithic. Yeah, you're going to get less copper fouling than if we used 100%
1: copper because the zinc is, like I said, just adds a little bit of uh, slippery uh, to it. Uh, and and monolithic bullets you know they're they're good bullets for a specific purpose one negative thing about uh, monolithic bullets if you consider it a negative is they take more velocity to get them to expand um, than a traditional cup and core bullet they're going to resist that expansion mm-hmm. so um, you know at, at an extended range shot and, and in some cases not that extended you know there's some cartridges that only cough a bullet out of the muzzle at 23, 2400 feet per second. And that bullet's going to need about 2000 feet per second to expand. Um, and so, you know, so at get six, sh-
0: seven to 800 yards. That ain't real great. Right. And not very
1: good. You could poke a nice clean hole. Um, and that's, that's not desirable either. So monolithic bullets, as good as they are, they do have their limitations. They also have a little bit of a hiccup in that you, you get length without weight, if that makes sense. So Uh, A cup and core bullet compared to a monolithic bullet of the same weight, uh, that GMX bullet, it's not as dense. So it'll be as long, but it won't be as heavy. And when you start getting into bullet stability and twist rate, that's why a lot of the monolithic bullets you'll see are going to be relatively light for caliber uh, because they get really, really long as you start to add that material. So you won't have
0: as high grains in the GMX designs.
1: Typically, typically not, unless we change the design. Um, you know, if we put a, uh, if we take the front of the bullet, what we'll call the ogive, and we, we shorten it, and instead of a boat tail on the back end, we just leave it a flat base, we can add some weight that way and, and not and not get it super long where it takes a much faster twist rate to stabilize. But
0: that's just one of the design limitations we have using a monolithic material. Gotcha. Okay. So back up there, you mentioned the term ogive. Let's talk about ogive and what that is for listeners who may not understand that term.
1: Sure. So when you've you've got a bullet traveling down the bore, you've got a, a portion of the bullet that is engraved into the rifling. We're going to call that the bearing surface. So anything forward of the bearing surface, It's not engraved in the rifling. Um, We're going to call that the ogive. So that's that sloped portion uh, that makes up the projectile nose. Um, There's some uh, design features that that you'll find really common and it all comes down to angle. So we have a, a tangent ogive or a secant ogive and without getting too deep into that and usually it's easier to draw a picture to really describe the difference. Most of what you're gonna see actually pretty much 100% of the bullets we make are going to have what's known as a secant ogive. Mm-hmm. And what that allows us to do is increase our aerodynamics without making the bullet incredibly long. Um, if you took a tangent ogive and you made it really, really long, you'd have a, a a nice sleek looking bullet, but it would be substantially longer than a bullet that had a secant ogive uh, of, a, of a similar drag characteristic. So again, that you can get in the weeds there and without drawing a picture, it's kind of hard to see the difference, but just know that we use, uh, secant ogives, uh, pretty much exclusively, um,
0: because you can get a little bit more of an aerodynamic, uh, uh, design out of it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So I have so many questions around this monolithic stuff. Okay. So you mentioned competitors. Um, yeah. w- what competitors are using that copper to zinc ratio? Is that, is that just a hornady thing or is there others out there doing that to I- be honest with you i'm not
1: sure uh, of anybody else that does use it um are the biggest competitor to name them is is barnes bullets and they make mm-hmm. a fantastic bullet for what they are they they really do a good job there's some people that that are really dyed in the wool and, and swear by them and like mm-hmm. i said they do make a good bullet uh to my knowledge though nobody else that i'm aware of uses
0: that that copper zinc alloy gotcha No, that's super cool. So application, let's talk about hunting application for monolithic design. I mean, I feel like the X gets all the love. Oh, yeah.
1: Yep. And and, and the X does get a lot of love and deservedly so. So specifically that monolithic, it's really, really designed for maximum penetration. So folks that are hunting big game, thick skinned game, um, you know, it's really popular for people that prefer to shoot animals on the shoulder blade. Mm. Um, cause that, that forces some bullet upset. So yeah, people that are hunting, uh, close range is also a very specific application where the GMX thrives over an ELDX or, or any other bullet for that matter. Um, so yeah, close range, thick skin game, uh, animals that, that are shooters rather that prefer to shoot on the shoulder blade. That's really the, a good application, uh, not a good application like we talked about previous is extended range type stuff where velocity is ble- bleeding off because it just doesn't force that bullet open. Gotcha. So probably not your ideal long, long range bullet. No, definitely not. It's it's very much a, a good bullet, but it's designed for, again, a specific purpose. And it does that purpose very, very well. But if you were as a hunter looking for a, a bullet, kind of a do all bullet, any range anywhere the gmx is is definitely not your bullet gotcha
0: yeah so that so that's interesting um i'm I'm thinking of practical applications where a hunter might use the monolithic design namely the gmx so things that come to my mind close range brown bear oh yeah Uh, yep and i went on a brown bear hunt two springs ago and i used the uh gmx bullet for my 338 win uh, the hunt, unfortunately, was unsuccessful, but that would have been the perfect application. Absolutely. For, yeah, you're not it. shooting brown bear at 800,000 yards. You're going to be 50, 50 to less if you're being charged, right? And then right, uh, two 300 is probably that sweet spot. Yep, and that bullet
1: is is optimally suited for that. Yeah, you don't want a bullet to limit its penetration on a charging brown bear. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great example. Another really good example... Is uh, we've got, you know, employees and a lot of customers that that get the opportunity to hunt Africa or to get to hunt in Alaska or something like yep, that. Yeah, that was the next thing I was going to talk about. Cape Buffalo. Yeah, Cape Buffalo is a good one, but uh, not just the specific type of animal, but in that environment, you know, a lot of hunters you get to Africa one time, you know, that's, you, you save up and you, you're you putting squirreling money away and you, you sell some stuff to try to get there one time. <laughs> and and if, when you do get there, the last thing you want is, is to be experiencing limited penetration on the gamut of animals that you get to shoot. So we really see the GMX being very popular for destination type hunts because uh, not a lot of people are capable of traveling to another continent and efficiently having a system set up to shoot at extended range. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're at a more traditional range for the majority of applications anyway. And then the fact that you've got a bunch of different animals to shoot and the fact that this may be a once in a lifetime hunt that you just paid money for, um, that, that the GMX kind of buys you a little bit of insurance there. And I know that's not necessarily a tangible, performance benefit but uh like i said i i've talked to a lot of customers who have said just that that they chose the gmx bullet for uh cross the water trip because they could depend on it regardless of the animal or uh or where they were hunting in brush or if it was a shoulder blade shot you name it
0: that's cool yeah no that, that's interesting so you, you hear of guys obviously this archery hunting hitting that shoulder on an elk you're not going to find the elk And you you talk about guys breaking down elk, shooting them in the shoulder. If you, if you, elk are, elk are probably one of the toughest animals in all of North America with their tenacity to live is insane. Yeah, You took the words out of my mouth. Their tenacity to live is unprecedented. Greater than moose, brown bear. I mean, caribou, all these other animals. And they just go, go, go. So the key to breaking down an elk is being able to take out both front legs. You, yep. you hit him, and if you see one of my videos on YouTube, uh, the public land bull with the 6.5 PRC, um, I shot that bull four times at 300 yards, and two of the bullets were touching each other, and I was side-hilling, free-handing, with a 26-inch barrel with a suppressor, and I, I was using the ELDX bullet. Actually, I was using the M, the match bullets, okay. and those that elk just soaked up those bullets and an elk will almost suck up any bullet it doesn't matter if it's a 300 a 338 a lapua whatever they're yeah, gonna suck up seen, bullets. there's been yeah there's
1: one shot kills on elk where they drop in their tracks all the time but usually and, they're uh, shoulder shots where they'll drop yeah yeah high shoulder shots typically but y- yeah yep. i've seen a 300 prc with a 212 grain eldx at 300 and some change suck two of them up and act like nothing happened and just kind of scampered off and died 80 yards later yeah I mean it, yeah they're, they're, they're gonna die they're but
0: they're like they'll do the rock the wobble they're like, yeah Ooh, I'm, I'm screwed i don't know what happened but i know i'm screwed that would be interesting testing that out at 300 yards on an elk shoulder with a gmx bullet sure just to see you know because we're, we're we're talking about how the monolithic design namely the gmx is a shoulder smasher it would be interesting to try that out. Just for just for my sake of curiosity, you know. I try to stay away from the shoulder unless I'm unless I have a bigger caliber, like the right. three hundred PRC, in which I actually haven't taken an elk with the three hundred PRC or the or the three hundred norma yet, but I plan to this year, this fall. Yeah. With any luck. Yeah, exactly. With any luck. So the GMX bullet. So ninety five percent copper, five percent zinc. Um, it's you're probably, it's probably going to get full penetration, meaning it's not going to stay in the animal. It's going to pop out, right? In most cases it does. Yep. In most cases it does, but it hits hard. Oh yeah. And the bullet retention, what would you say the bullet retention is on that? From a percentage standpoint, again, there's always different uh,
1: things that happen inside of an animal. There's a million different uh, uh, caveats to what I'm about to say, but most of the time it's 95% or more of its original weight 95 95 percent if you recover it there's a very high likelihood it's going to be 95 percent or more
0: that's unprecedented yeah
1: it's it's yeah it's about as good as it gets before you start shooting solids uh, and this thing will give you that very typical mushroom look in most cases again shot angle and deflection a lot of things that go into it but on a uh, on a on a shot that is is clean and the bullet enters clean yeah, it's gonna mushroom, it's gonna look good, and it's gonna retain
0: a ton of its weight. That's awesome. So I, I I have shot one animal. I wasn't successful on that brown bear hunt, but that same spring I was successful on a black bear in Montana and I hammered one, I think it was at five hundred and eighty yards, and it was high shoulder. And that video's that video's on YouTube. But um man. I don't even think that bear knew it hit him just felt like he was dead on impact. Yep. That's a a beautiful down the hill. Beautiful thing when it happens like that. Oh man, there's nothing better, nothing better. Okay. So anything else on the monolithic design and the GMX?
1: No, I think we, we pretty well covered it. Like I said, it's, it's good for what it is. Uh, don't shy away from it. Just know about its limitations as far as, uh, velocity required. And, and, uh, it's a good bullet. And, uh, yeah, we, we make it for a reason, and it's because it's a good bullet. But in my personal opinion, the cup and core, uh, traditional lead core bullets, I really prefer those um, for for the majority of, of the type of hunting and shooting that I
0: do. Right. Okay. So, and, and I think I'd have to agree with you there. The type of hunting I do, I would say that it, it supports uh, my hunting style as well. But before we – last question before we bounce over from the – the monolithic design what 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 yardage would you say that you should probably switch over to a cup and core design at what yardage sure well it
1: depends on the cartridge you're shooting obviously it depends on the muzzle velocity um, ballistically these bullets they're they're efficient you know they'll have a secant ogive a lot of them have a boat tail um, but there are some things that uh, uh, that we have to limit so it's you know it's drag characteristics and its bc Aren't that great, so you got to launch them at a high muzzle velocity to get more distance. So depending on that launch velocity and depending on the drag characteristics, uh, it'll be obviously different for each. But somewhere between four and five hundred yards from a from a traditional uh, modern, not traditional, excuse me, a modern hunting cartridge, five hundred yards or or under. Ultimately, what I would recommend the guys do if you're if you're trying to find your maximum reliable distance run a ballistic calculation with this bullet using um, you know any ballistic calculator for that matter and uh, run it out every 50 yards with the atmosphere that you'll be hunting in and with the BC of the bullet and where you see 2100 2,000 feet per second of retained velocity whatever that distance is that's where I would uh, I would I would cut it right there
0: you'd cut it at 2 thousand 2100 yep do you know what that is off the top of your head uh, i don't know if you have a calculator
1: in, we don't have, you don't have to in a lot it. of in a lot of cases it's around 500 yards okay of course.
0: so i had that bullet max then on that
1: yeah, just bear. about it would, depends on you know if you're shooting a 6.5 prc with a 120 at 3,000 feet per second it very likely could have been 600 yards or more um it, it just depends on how fast you
0: you launched it out of the muzzle right right I, I don't recall off the back of my head i hunt with so many different calibers that i just like to test them and you know what, yeah. and i think people enjoy that too so when they write in or email me or call me or dm me or whatever it's like hey eric what do you think about this caliber what do you think about 300 pierce what do you think about the 65 pierce what do you think about the seven seven mag what what bullet do you do i'm like and it, it's i like yeah. to be able to you know obviously i can't speak to it like a ballistician like yourself but i like i can speak with them in layman's terms and help them understand why and yeah. how you know you get in the
1: field you use it and that's 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 worth its weight in gold sometimes but i just real quick looked up a six, five Creedmoor with our 120 GMX uh out of the muzzle at 2925 wow, you're going to run guy. out of juice between 4 and 500 yards at 400 it's 2148 and at 500 you're down to 1975 now that's at standard atmospheric uh pressure so up on the mountain uh you're going to be able to shoot a little bit further than that and Got still you. have that 2000 feet per second
0: so again folks we're talking about the monolithic design here so um Let's jump over to the the well. Last thing I said, last thing just a second ago. But I got one last thing. What about what about the BCs? Sure, on the GMX. They're they're,
1: they're good for what they are, but they're they're not uh, awesome yet. They're um, not X good, are, are they? They're not. No, they're not. And again, a lot of it has been because of rifles that are existing on the market a good example is the 243 winchester it's got a standard one in ten twist so if you're going to make a gmx in six millimeter there's a million 243s out there you want to make sure it will shoot well from a ten twist and so you have to tweak your design uh, to make that bullet efficiently stabilize in a ten twist Um, and so that that limits how well we can get that bc to look Um, but it's just kind of nature of the beast there are you know I think we're doing a great job here of introducing new cartridges with what is traditionally been fast twists like the 6.5 Creedmoor and PRC one and eight twists, uh, the 300 PRC eight and a half twist. We're we're pushing the, the envelope with uh, getting the industry to go to faster twist race so we can make some bullets some new bullets that have a much better drag profile. Um, so we're trying to get the industry going that way.
0: Okay, guys, on the topic of bullet performance, let's talk about rifle performance. Be sure to get a quick-release rifle cover to protect your firearm for the moment of truth. The quick-release rifle cover fits most rifles, fits a lot of suppressors. It's easy on, easy off, DWR, water-treated. Protect your rifle from wind, sleet, rain, and snow so that you're ready in that moment of truth when it comes time to shoot that buck or bull of a lifetime. Muleyfreak.com, quick release the rifle cover. Pick yourself up one. Were you for, foreshadowing something to come from Hornady there? <laughs> we're always working on stuff, always. Gotcha. You know, I I talk to Emily, well, a few times a month, sometimes a few times a week, and uh, she's pretty tight lipped herself. So I don't expect to get anything out of you either.
1: Yeah, we're you know it's 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 a slippery slope when you let something uh, something out of the bag
0: that wasn't quite ready to be out of the bag yet. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. So, okay, let's jump over to cup and core. Yeah. Yeah, this is really uh, the lion's
1: share of the bullets on the market, regardless of the manufacturer. Most of them are cup and core bullets. And so, again, that's a copper jacket and a lead core. The reason we call them cup and core is if you've ever been to our facility, we'll show you how we make bullets. And I encourage everyone listening, come to Hornady, uh, call ahead, sign up for a tour and see how we do things here. It's, it's a, an amazing process. But the way it starts is our jacket material is on a thin sheet of uh, a, a big roll, and it's thin. And what we have is a machine that basically stomps it, uh, presses it into a cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a two-step process. We'll punch uh, that copper into a perfect circle, and then we'll punch the center of that circle into a cup. So think of a, a little teacup, but without the handle. And so that's how we make the cup. And it's critically important that those cups are as perfectly circular as we can make them. And uh, we take those cups and we've got a, a process on our presses, which again, we'll be happy to show you, uh, that we run through. And just like with the GMX bullet, we draw it. We hit it with a, a die and a punch and it gets longer and thinner and we draw it out and then we put in a lead core mm. and we press the lead core in. And then we shape the ogive and we can uh, do some different things with the ogive. and and we can do things with the what's called the may or the the tip of the bullet, and we can do things with that there. Um, but again, it's a copper cup and a lead core, and we can really do infinite things as far as design goes. And uh, lead, you know, there's some naysayers to lead, and understandably so, but lead always has been. Uh, and and likely always will be just one of the ideal materials for a bullet core. Gotcha. Uh, way so, it works.
0: So the copper, phenomenal. coppers around the middle. I mean, how much copper is there to lead? Uh, gosh, I don't have a,
1: a a huge example. There's a lot less copper than lead. There's the core is is the lion's share of the weight. Um, so that's how we can manipulate the weight is get a thicker jacket or a light or a thinner jacket which gives you more lead or less lead. Uh, but the jacket, if you've never seen a bullet sectioned in half, um, maybe I can get you a, a picture or send you a couple. There's definitely a lot more lead than than copper. Gotcha. Okay. You know, for reference, uh, a bullet base, the bottom of a bullet, that's a cup and core bullet, you know, your random 6'5", 143 ELDX, you know, that might have a thickness at the bottom of maybe 50 thousandths of an inch thou thick of copper.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So you, you mentioned lead giving the ability, giving almost infinite abilities for design, but what else is that lead doing for us? Sure. In, well, in a uh, it's going to aid expansion.
1: That's, that's really what I do. So it's going to affect our weight. Um, we can play with the jacket and the lead and the way we seat it to put that weight where we want it. Um, That gets into uh, a whole lot of aerodynamics probably for a a different day of talking, but uh, nonetheless, we can change uh, antimony. So when you add antimony to lead, you can make the lead harder. So we can use pure lead on, on a bullet that is designed for low velocity performance. We can use 3% antimony lead, which is what we use for almost everything. And then on like dangerous game type bullets or Mm -hmm. like our critical duty uh, projectiles that we make for the FBI, we can use, uh, 5% anemone if we wanted to, to make that lead harder yet. Um, so it's going to aid that expansion. And that's, that's huge when you're talking about, uh, bullet performance because that bullet needs to expand and there needs to be something to expand in there. And, and that lead is a,
0: a perfect medium for that. When you say expand, do you mean the energy expanding or do you mean the bullet mushrooming in expansion? Well, I was referencing was, was specifically
1: the projectile. So that, that lead has to go somewhere when it becomes compressed, when you hit an animal mm-hmm. and it, it moves out of the way and it flows out of the way. And, uh, so it just grows sort of, expands. It, yeah, it grows and coincidentally then cuts a larger wound channel, uh, as far as temporary wound cavity goes. So, First, with, excuse me, permanent
0: wound cavity. So with that said, I mean, just to piggyback on that, you're going to do more damage to your object, oh yeah, with an expanding bullet,
1: yep, you will you will definitely do uh, more damage with an expanding bullet, and uh, that's another great thing with the way that we make a cup and core bullet. We can throw in things like polymer tips, which uh, you know a few decades ago was was really new and innovative, and now it's it's a pretty well a standard, um, you know, for a lot of hunting bullets to have uh, an ex- A polymer tip previous to that. And currently now we still make a traditional bullet that has exposed lead because Mm -hmm. lead is nice and soft. The lead begins to expand and push the rest of the bullet open. Uh, But the polymer tips, the addition to that, to drive rearward into the column of lead and to create kind of a hydraulic effect to get that bullet to push
0: open. Um, So the main purpose is that polymer is going to create expansion in the lead itself. Absolutely, yep. The the polymer tip it does a couple
1: of things beyond that. One of the nice things is when you're when you're making a bullet and you're forming up that ogive and you're coming to form the mayplot or the tip uh, and you're you're squeezing all that material to a point. The tip it gets a little ugly. It gets a little jagged. It gets a little. Uh, longer on one side than the other like if you've looked at an exposed lead tip bullet or if you've looked at like a boat tail hollow point those tips are are not particularly pretty and that can in extended range applications Mm -hmm. things that aren't the same don't fly the same if they don't have the same shape they don't fly the same and we're talking really minute differences here so it's nothing to get super concerned with but by doing the polymer tip we make a nice clean finish on the tip we insert the, the polymer, and then we form that together so the tip won't come out, obviously. And now you have a nice, smooth transition. All the tips are made in a mold. They're 100% identical. And now you have a more consistently shaped bullet tip as well. Um, so that,
0: that really is another benefit aside from the expansion proponent. Right. I mean, one of these words that I'm just going to pick out here that you mentioned a couple times, Consistency. I mean, I I think consistency is such an important word, not only in bullet design, but all facets of life. I mean, I say consistency kills. That's one thing I say all the time. If you're not up on the mountain, if you're not grinding, if you're not working hard, you're not going to be successful. And if your bullet's not shooting the same, then you're going to have a hard time being consistent on target. Right. Uh, I mean, you want that bullet to shoot the same every single time it hits your rifling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As as many variables as you can control, you should try to control them without becoming a control freak. And and if one of those things is you can buy a properly designed and manufactured bullet, then by all means, that's that's definitely something you should do. And the polymer tips really yeah, do two things for us. They help with with that consistency of shape and design and and manufacturing, and then they also help on the expansion route. So super, super important there. We've got some other things I'd like to mention though, in regard to bullets specifically, uh, or our bullets specifically. And so we went over kind of cup and core and what that is. And that was kind of a overview of what probably everybody does. Sierra, Remington, Winchester, us, that's just kind of, you know, a cup and a core and you smash them together and, Soft metal takes the shape of hard metal and you got to then and, and a punch and it works. So some things that we do for our hunting bullets specifically is our interlock ring. And uh,
0: I'll, I would like to touch on jacket thickness and I'd
1: like to touch on cantalier as well if, if we can.
0: Yeah, okay. But Before you jump into that, um, sure. tell me about the BC's velocity and range of cup and core design. Sure, so with a
1: the bc to answer your question first largely dependent on the shape of the projectile and where the mass sits uh and how long it is and and the ogive and all these things so we are able to compared to a monolithic bullet we're able to make a bullet that is the same length as a monolithic bullet but now it's heavier and there's a weight proponent of bc so of two bullets of the same shape the
0: heavier one will have a higher bc um so that's nice. Um, let me, and then, let me stop you right there real quick. Cause I, sure. there's probably people that don't understand, uh, the benefit of a high BC touch on that real quick. Sure. Sure. So without getting super
1: nerdy on, on the definition of a ballistic coefficient, we'll, we'll level it down to say, uh, when you see the ballistic coefficient of a projectile, you can associate that with its ability to maintain velocity in flight. Um, how efficiently is it flying through the air is kind of a, an easy way to to understand that so the higher the ballistic coefficient the more efficiently that that bullet is flying through the air what the benefit of a higher bc is is the bullet retains more velocity as it travels down range um, because it's efficiently slipping through the air so if it retains more velocity you can extend your distance because most bullets need a certain amount of velocity to expand them. Let's say with a cup and core bullet, um, like a traditional bullet, we'll talk about the ELDX specifically later, but let's say uh, our SST, for example, it's a good bullet, Mm -hmm. requires about 1800 feet per second to expand. And so if you can fly more efficiently, you'll be able to shoot further before you reach that 1800 feet per second threshold, Uh, more velocity, is also equates to more energy, um, is velocities or energy, excuse me, is velocity dependent. Um, and typically, uh, you're flying faster and you have a higher BC. Now you're going to resist wind deflection mm. as well. So you are, you're, you're increasing your percentage to, uh, to hit the target, uh, just by shooting a bullet with a higher BC compared to one with a lower BC. It's going to fly a little flatter. It's going to hold velocity better, uh, it's going to have more energy downrange less of wind and it's going to have less effect of wind which huge. becomes becomes vitally important
0: on uh, on those extended shots especially long range and out west here where you got wind funnels going different directions and if you're shooting across one or two different canyons yep it's 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 huge
1: and uh yeah, for the most part wind is is the the achilles heel of any shot. You know, there's it's really hard to put most hunters that are capable of shooting long range and and taking animals at an extended range. They really have no magic range number. It's just how hard is the wind blowing. That's what limits the range.
0: Right. And not having experience shooting in wind, I mean, oh yeah. That's going to limit you from taking the shot or not taking the shot. I mean, what if there's an animal next to it that you don't want to take? What if there's a doe and you don't have a doe tag standing next to the buck? I mean, and you got a fierce wind. I mean, those are all decisions that you got to think about, you know? Yep. So what we're trying to do is, is, is get the BC as good
1: as we can within some limitations that we have as far as what cartridges is the bullet being designed for and what twist rates those have. But uh, I, I like to call it, error budget by by opting for a bullet um, that has a higher bc you are increasing your error budget how much can you mess up and still still hit what you're aiming at you know how much (laughs) how many miles per hour of wind are you capable of reading effectively and if you're off by one or two mile an hour um you know buying some some
0: bc you know kind of helps increase that error budget right i like it error budget that's perfect so a cup and core design with a, uh, what are we calling it, a, a polymer tip? Is that what we, Polymer tip, yeah. A polymer tip is going to give you a bigger air budget, really. It's more efficient, flies to the wind, higher BCs, better at extended ranges. All accurate? Yeah, that's that's right on. And that's what,
1: you know, That the modern, quote-unquote, modern polymer tip to projectiles like our SST, you know, those were – Largely a product of the 90s, um, where we really got everything from a manufacturing standpoint in line and we can do this the right way. And so that was a, that was a big deal. Um, and now, obviously, it's 2020. We've really helped continue the pursuit of taking those design features and making them better and moving some things around making that better and making a more efficient bullet.
0: That's awesome. Okay, sorry to interrupt you there. You were going into the yeah, interlock yeah. ring and polymer yeah. and jacket thickness. Yep. So, so let's let's dive into that.
1: So we have real quick, one thing that Hornady puts in their hunting bullets uh, is known as an interlock ring. And again, without an illustration, it's kind of hard to see. But if you picture a bullet, and inside the bullet, there is usually about halfway up the bullet, there is what I'm going to call a barb inside the copper. And it's, it's part of the jacket. It's on the inside and it's a little barb. And when we seat the core into the bullet, the core, the lead flows around that little barb, that little ring. Mm -hmm. And when the bullets expanding, that helps mechanically lock the jacket to the core because one solid mass is going to penetrate a lot more efficiently than if the core came out of the jacket. So we add that interlock ring in our hunting bullets to help, mechanically lock those two together. We got that ring biting into the lead to help hold them together. So uh, with, with any Hornady cup and core hunting bullet, you're going to get the benefit uh, of a, of an interlock ring. Um, and there's other companies that do something similar, um, but it's just a tried and true method to help hold things together. Cause again, one mass is going to penetrate a lot more efficiently than if the lead came out and the jacket was separated. Now you have two things trying to penetrate.
0: Gotcha. So, where is that interlock ring located in reference to the bullet?
1: Is it so mid, you, is it
0: top, top third?
1: If you start, it's it's different for every line of bullets. So like our SST and our, our line of bullets, that's called the interlock. Um, those interlock rings are going to be from the bottom up about halfway. Uh-huh. Uh, just about a little below halfway. halfway, right? Maybe. Yep, usually just a little bit below halfway. Gotcha. Now on our ELDX line... Uh, where we're trying to get a bullet that's specifically designed to be able to operate from zero to as far as you can ethically shoot, um, that interlock ring is going to be located a little bit lower. Um, we want some of that lead up front on a high-velocity shot. We actually want that lead to shed and get out of the way so that it doesn't uh, interfere with its penetration path. Um, so that lo- interlock ring on the ELDX is going to be just a little bit lower. Gotcha. It's super interesting stuff tied to that with uh, the LDX and SST and the interlock. uh, One last thing I wanted to hit on as far as design goes is the jacket thickness. Um, So the cup that we start with is a certain thickness. And as you draw it out, it gets a little thinner and we can manipulate how thick and thin that jacket is in certain places to get that bullet to expand or not expand. In some cases, um, Uh, so we we can manipulate that thickness and we do that on pretty much all of our bullets. They have a very specific jacket thickness throughout. Uh, And again, it's like the ELDX. It's got a really thick base and a really thick lower portion of jacket Mm -hmm. because at high velocity, when we're expanding all that bullet all the way down to the interlock ring, we want it to be (laughs) thick down there. Likewise, if you want a bullet to expand at really low velocity, you want a really thin jacket so like our sst is going to have a a relatively thin jacket and it's not one thickness throughout it's going to be different thicknesses at different places so that's something that uh from a engineering standpoint our bullet engineers can specifically map out what the thickness is and then me as a ballistician on, on new projectiles i get to shoot them into ballistics gelatin at different thicknesses and we can see those results and manipulate them uh, until we get
0: exactly what we're looking for man i can't imagine the testing that would go into proving a concept and bringing a concept to production
1: it was it's yeah, insane
0: the, it, it it's it's uh, a labor of love but
1: yeah there's a lot of well tweak this and when you're measuring things in thousands of an inch you know it seems uh seems yeah just painstaking
0: at times and but storing uh, all this data to the tests that you've run and then comparing tests who's doing that is that your oh, job too yeah that's
1: that's kind of all of our job you know we've got a really good team but we've got a really small team and that's actually played out to our benefit in a lot of cases is information sharing isn't super super difficult because
0: there's only a handful of us actually involved it's not like you got to talk to 30 40 50 different people when it comes to design testing. There's a handful of you.
1: Yep. And that's one of the things that just a a small, uh, it'll be tangential to the conversation, but Hornady manufacturing, for those that don't know, a lot of people that I've talked to think that Hornady, some giant company like Remington or Winchester uh, come out to Grand Island, Nebraska, tour around. We are a small company. We're family owned. And uh, one of the big benefits there is when we have an idea, of a new product it can be from idea to in my hand to shoot it and in a lot of cases just a couple days um there's not a lot of red tape there's not a lot of hoops to jump through I, we you know we get our we get the okay from from our boss to continue with the project and uh, there's really no hurdles to the jump so yeah, that's one of the benefits of being small and and like i mentioned earlier information sharing is really easy when there's only a handful of people
0: involved gotcha Cool. Well, you, you, there's you so we talked about the interlock ring. We talked about the polymer tips on the cup and core design. Yep. We talked about jacket thickness. We tested a little bit on BC's velocity. Tell me about the canneler. Sure. So the candler, uh is w- what a lot of
1: people refer to as the crimping groove. So if you look at a projectile, just the bullet that's not seated into a case that has one, it looks like a belt around the bullet. And that mm. really allows two things – the first thing is it allows a place to to crimp. So the crimping would be to take the cartridge case and just slightly lean it into the bullet to grab it a little tighter. Um, and there's some benefit to that in certain applications like super high recoiling guns. Sometimes the recoil of the firearm will make the bullet that's in your magazine walk out just a little bit. Um, really? and so if you yep. If so if you crimp it, it will have a more aggressive bite to the bullet and it won't walk out on you now on okay. most most rifle cartridges it's not a horrible problem But uh, on a lever action it can be a very annoying problem if that does happen uh, on a lever action if the bullet walks out a little bit uh, gum up your action uh, you know you might not be able to work the lever because your cartridge is now too long uh, can create a pretty good headache so you, you always crimp lever action cartridges uh, revolvers which not necessarily uh specific to what we're talking about but revolvers uh could lock your cylinder up uh it can also change pressures as well if the bullet isn't
0: seated the same way every time so and you're going to obviously lose what, accuracy when your seating changes yeah absolutely yep that's uh going to say lose accuracy it's going to affect accuracy you're going to have bullets shooting differently Yep. Yeah. And
1: then, so the, the other thing that a canneler does for us on a traditional typed bullet, I mentioned earlier that the interlock helps lock the jacket to the core and that does it on the inside. Well, a canneler helps lock the jacket to the core from the outside, because when you push the jacket in to make that belt around it, the material goes somewhere and it obviously squeezes that lead. So uh, on our traditional hunting bullets, like our interlock and our SST, those cannelers give you a place to crimp but they also help lock that bullet together.
0: Um, mm-hmm. So that's a, just another corollary benefit. And, and does the cannular apply to both monolithic and cup and core? Or is yep. this specific to cup and core? Nope. You can have a
1: cannular on, uh, on both. Um, and we do, we cannular our GMXs and we cannular a lot of our regular hunting bullets. Um, and like I said, they just give you a place to crimp. They help lock the bullet together. And uh, one, a note on there is, uh, what we've seen being able to use the the Doppler radar is that a canneler typically negatively impacts the aerodynamics of the projectile. So uh, if you have two bullets and they're the exact same look and they're the exact same shape, one has a canneler. The one with the canneler will have a very slightly lower BC than the one uh, that doesn't. Because it's so going to drag. Yep. So that's why. That back end is going to see... drag
0: because of the way it's uh, crimped.
1: Yep, and well, and and the air, the way the air is going to pass over that bearing surface, um, just increases the drag. So you won't see a or groove on our ELDX or any of our match bullets because it does negatively impact the drag. Mm-hmm. Interesting,
0: but the yep, cup very and,
1: slight, but it does.
0: Yeah, so the cup and cores they're going to have inter interlocks. Uh, that, but the X and the M are going to have interlock rings, but they're not going to have candlers.
1: Well, the M the M being a match bullet, and we can dive into kind of a hunting versus match bullet design difference. Um, this might be a good first point to that. The uh, ELD match, and any match bullet for that matter, uh, is purpose-built to shoot as small of groups as possible, and that's it. So with no performance, as far as terminal performance goes, with no terminal performance really specified, an interlock ring isn't necessary. And so... Anytime you add a feature to a bullet, an interlock ring, a candle or, or whatever, anytime you you introduce a feature, there is a possibility that that feature isn't perfectly concentric to the rest of the bullet. I mean, perfectly in line with its center of mass. So it this is an off chance, but there's a, a chance that the interlock ring, if it wasn't perfect, could negatively impact the accuracy of a bullet, um, which we test our bullets so rigorously and throughout their production life that that we weed that out before the machines are ever turned on but nonetheless it's one more thing that potentially could go wrong so for that reason we leave it out of all of our match bullets gotcha okay
0: what about the x do you keep
1: it in the x the x bullet uh definitely has an interlock ring yep it's and like i said it's it's a lot lower than we traditionally put it but the interlock ring is definitely in the x because there are like I said, it's purpose built to kill things and be accurate. Second, um, you know, and that's an arguable second because our ELDX bullets are held to the exact same accuracy standard as our match bullets. But uh, like I said, it's it's a hunting bullet, so we make sure it's got that interlock ring in
0: it. No, that's that's awesome. So basically, the X and the M are more or less cut from the same cloth in terms of design and testing, other than the X has an interlock. Yep. ring and which the m does not and then right the jacket thickness is thinner on the match versus the thicker jacket on the x exactly yep with the x bullet the x
1: actually came before the match we did, we designed the eldx uh first and then kind of took that that, uh, polymer tip, which we found was, was deforming in flight, uh, and, and, applied that to the ELDM. Uh, so the ELDX came first and what we wanted to do was provide an option for what I'm, what I'm going to say is the modern Hunter. So when I started shooting long range, uh, or quote unquote long range at the time, I was 13 years old laying in a hay field with a 308 Winchester, mm-hmm. right? So. And it took me a million shots, it seems like, to hit the milk jug at 600 yards, right. and and that kind of equipment that I had availability to, it, it just wasn't that great. Well, now in 2020, you can go buy a four or five, six hundred dollar rifle, a four or five or six hundred dollar scope, have you know a thousand dollars into the whole thing, and you can effectively shoot, you know, to a thousand yards. There's been tons of people that have done a thousand dollars to a thousand yards, uh, like on YouTube. And uh, you can do that pretty effectively. So the equipment has gotten a lot better. Uh, Ballistic calculators like our Ford off, for example, have gotten ours is free and they're easy to use and they get you on target right away. Ammunition, match grade ammunition, uh, like our ELD match or in our case, precision hunter. Um, You know, you've got matched accurate ammunition with the hunting bullet. So the modern hunter has the ability to shoot a lot further than we used to. And whether you're a proponent of, hunting at extended ranges or not the reality is people are doing it and so what we wanted to do was get a bullet that you could get extended range performance because people are going to do it anyway and not just some extended range performance we wanted it purpose-built to perform at extended range while at the same time when you're pounding the timber and, and you know we've all done that where it's not the way I like to hunt, but sometimes that's where the animals are. And you're pounding the timber and you shoot something at 40 or 50 yards. We wanted something that could hold its own at that close range, but also perform well at an extended range. And so that's that's what sparked the ELDX. And that's why we have such a, a structured and tapered jacket with the interlock ring. And again, we still hold it to our match accuracy standards. Um, that's why, I mean, it's, it's really the
0: bullet choice for, for a lot of applications. Right. So what, so elk jumps up, you're in the timber, 80 yards, you have a cup and core design in the ELDX, mm-hmm. you pound that animal, uh, let's say just behind the shoulder, what's going to, what's that bullet going to do? So at, at close range,
1: what's likely going to happen is when we design the ELDX with that tapered jacket. What we designed it to do was expand the lead and then get rid of it. Let that lead that expanded shed off the bullet because if you don't, and it tries to hang on to it, it's going to penetrate in a non-linear fashion. It's going to go wherever the least amount of drag is, right? It's going to, it's going to, it's not going to go in a straight line. Gotcha. So if we let that bullet expand and then shear off, it's going to penetrate in a straighter line and that's, that's typically what what you want so this thing is going to continually expand it's going to flow and mushroom that lead and it's going to shear off and that lead core is still going to continue to expand and flow and then that's going to shear off and eventually at at close range impacts you will expand so much lead that you get down to the interlock ring and in that event it's possible that the jacket comes off of the lead core you get a jacket core separation and you could find just the jacket left over in the animal um, at at a closer range shot. And that particular, what I'm going to call kind of using air quotes feature Mm -hmm. is that bullet continually expanding and penetrating in a straight line. And because it's still penetrating as it's shearing that lead, it's creating a wound cavity in the vitals. So the fact that it jacket core separated is not necessarily a bullet failure in the, in the, in the sake of you, you, you caught, you wreaked havoc to this animal's vitals. Um, Conversely, if you get that same performance out of an SST or that same shot scenario, rather that SST, it's not designed with, with the jacket that will allow that continual expansion. So what you might find with an SST at that scenario is that you have a jacket core separation, but it did not penetrate nearly as deep. Um, So that's, if that makes sense, that's what kind of separates why our ELDX at close range still performs is because it's going to straight line penetrate regardless of how much lead it has left. Right. Um, so uh, hopefully that made sense on that continual type of expansion. It, no. it expands and it sheds and then it expands some more and it sheds that lead and it spans some more and sheds that lead. And eventually as it's traveling through the animal, it just runs out of lead. Uh, uh, but, that's all after it's made it into and through the vitals in those cases.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, one thing I've always noticed, and why I always tell people at the X again, I get a ton of questions, uh, comments, DMs, calls. I typically, and now I never shoot anything at eighty yards because I don't like to still hunt the timber, uh, just because I can't see what's going on. But yeah, you and me both. Yeah, a, yeah, that's one thing I don't like to do. I like to be. I let. I like to let my eyes and glass do the killing and locating <laughs> of the animal. But absolutely. Um, with that said, I can almost always uh, walk up to the animal, flip the animal over, and look for like a burr or a barb, as if the animal scraped himself on a branch, and put run my finger over that bullet. Take take my uh, scalpel knife out. In this case, a goat my goat knife, and literally cut the bullet out of the opposite side hide. Yep, that's 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 the typical
1: performance we see depending on launch velocity, after about 300 yards. After about 300 yards, we've got enough mass in the back end of that bullet with the jacket thickness. We've got that interlock ring. That that's typically what we see with a 300-plus yard shot.
0: Gotcha. And again, that interlock ring is uh, binding that binding or compressing that copper to the lead core, correct? Yep, yep. And so it does help hold it
1: together. Um, but as that lead expands, you know, as it's expanding, that lead has to come from somewhere and it comes from the core and, it's uh, push outwards, it, correct? Yeah. It's going, it's going to expand so much and shear so much that eventually it's going to run out of lead. So once you do that, it slips past the, the, the interlock ring. Um, and again, that typically happens once it's into the vital. So it's not like it's happening really early on and it's in its uh, penetration path.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, any, any other, uh, elDX specific design features that um, we haven't talked about or should talk about obviously X bullets high BCs uh, what about weight retention once it hits the animal three three to 900 yards I mean what what's what should that look like we have seen a, a, a ton of different results based on on
1: shot placement like I said that that's a big one where uh, you know you hit the shoulder blade or something but uh, nonetheless uh, like a Three to six, seven hundred yard shot that bullet usually in the 40 or 50 percent range, sometimes a little bit less. Um, And again, a lot of variables there because it is lead. You're at the mercy of how much lead flowed um, and and, and consequently sheared off. But nonetheless, it's uh, usually around 30
0: to 50 percent. Okay. And tell me why. I mean, tell our listeners why bullet retention matters and how much it matters for that fact. Sure. Well, uh, it,
1: it matters a little, um, dependent on a few variables. Um, like I mentioned earlier, number one always beats whatever's number two. So you got to right. get the bullet in the right place, regardless of what the bullet does. Right. Uh, but it really helps when you have, when your end result is you have a, a high retained weight and not necessarily weight, but you have a high retention of mass, meaning the, the lead core stayed in the copper jacket. Um, one thing, penetrates a lot more efficient one heavy thing penetrates better than two lighter things when it's going through an animal so uh, it's going to wreak more havoc by better i don't necessarily mean it's going to go deeper i mean it's going to 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 create a bigger and and more dominant permanent wound cavity through the vitals and uh so that's really yeah when you retain that that's what it means happened is that you had a nice pronounced wound cavity uh and it held together um, and it got through what you were aiming. You know, you don't want to necessarily just get into the vitals. I like to get into and out of the vitals. I want to, I want to make sure that, that I disrupt as much tissue as I can uh, with a bullet. And so a bullet that retains a lot of weight uh, or a lot of mass typically does that. And, and you know that because it got to the other side, like you said, where you can cut it out of the hide off the, uh, on the offside. Um, so that's really what it means what it doesn't mean in a lot of cases specific to our eldx where we have that type of continual expansion where it expands and then shears off and continues to expand and penetrate it's doing that in a pretty darn linear straight line and uh, if it does flow enough lead that the jacket lets go from the core because there's no more lead to grab onto um, then that doesn't necessarily mean it's a failure because it it, it's going to do that as it gets in to the vitals. So what I would say does constitute a bullet failure is a bullet that does not deliver adequate disruption of the vitals, and and that and that generally is because the jacket let go of the core too soon before it got into the vitals to create enough trouble.
0: Right. Right. That's crazy. I mean. I'm <clears throat> not trying to toot my own horn at all, but um, I will say I probably take I don't know five to eight animals per year from black bear, mule deer, antelope, all the way up to elk with the X, and I've never experienced bullet failure at any range. So and that's, that's what we we really tried to design it for. Obviously, you can't take every variable
1: into account. No, you try can't. to, but uh, yeah, it's it's designed to be
0: here there. Anywhere in between, it's designed to work. But, but, but if, I were, if I were somebody listening and I was trying to select between a monolithic design and a cup and core design, whether it was Hornady or any other manufacturer, I would be thinking, man, I'm never going to have the perfect scenario for any situation. But with that said, I feel like the X is the most highly engineered bullet for any hunting scenario from close range to long range. That that would, that would be my hypothesis. Not, I wouldn't say hypothesis. That would be my conclusion, excuse me. That would be my conclusion from listening just to this first part of uh, the three-part series that we're touching on here about bullet construction and design. I don't know. I would agree with you 100%.
1: And obviously I've got a little, I've got, a, I had a hand in it and, and you know, so I've got a, a dog in the race, so to speak. Uh, but I really do think that, uh as a hunter that has, you know, the ability to hunt and shoot effectively to, you know, let's say even 500 yards, which for, for, uh, you know, long range shooting competitor, for example, that's a chip shot. But when you're on the mountain and, and there's a lot of variables at play 500 yards is, is not always a chip shot. No. And the, the amount of hunters right now in, you know, in May of 2020, that can effectively shoot to five, five or six hundred yards, compared to this ten years ago, five years ago. Hmm. You know that number is so, so much larger now. And so, isn't that yeah, wild? It is wild, and it's great to be a part of. And I really think the ELDX lends itself to that specific community. That that community that they're grinding, they're on the mountain, they're working hard, but they've got a family. They're they're taking vacation from work to get there, and. Yeah, they're out there to enjoy the hunt, but they're also out there to kill an animal. And whether that be, yeah, five or six hundred yards or five or six yards, this bullet is is designed for that hunter.
0: Absolutely. I think you set that up perfect. The dude that has a family at home, who has to take days off from work to do this, who doesn't have a range built into a shop or <laughs> lives in suburbia and can't just walk out his back door and, and you know throw lead. All right guys, on the topic of time and limited time, be sure to download Basemap. Now Basemap, in my opinion, is the number one hunting GPS app um, on the market. Uh, some of you have used competitors. Um, if you're using competitors and like Basemap, you can transfer your waypoints so you don't lose anything. Uh, some of the top features of Basemap include live location sharing, 3D maps for iOS, a new feature called Hunt HuntWin that has dynamic weather info, and wind info, so you know when to hunt certain stands or drainages. Uh, perfect for the whitetail hunter and or western hunter. Uh, if you don't have a lot of time being able to e-scout from your mobile device or desktop, in my mind, is unparalleled. I, I have a family. I work 50, 60 hours a week, and I just don't have time to get out and scout. So being able to access base map, plan my routes, uh, look, at, look at terrain in 3D goes a long, long way for me. Now, if you like it as much as I do, then go ahead and go to basemap.com forward slash muleyfreak, and there'll be a 20% off code automatically populated in the checkout. So you can just go ahead and save yourself 20, 20% off. So check it out, download basemap, upgrade to pro, basemap.com forward slash get take 20% off, and uh, own the outdoors. God, I, and, and even 10, 12 years ago, think about it like i think we're close to the same age seth i'm 34 how old are you i'm 31 31 um dude if think about your dad and your grandpa like 500 yards was unheard of yeah you didn't even know what 500 yards was you guessed because guess what our grandpa our grandparents and our fathers for that matter they didn't have a (laughs) rangefinder
1: No. Well, and just going back, like I mentioned that story at the start of the podcast when I was laying in the hayfield when I was 13 and 14 years old, how I knew that the milk jug was 500 or 600 yards is because our range finder would range to like 250 and I would drive the truck in the hayfield and range the truck from the target and (laughs) then put a a flag in the ground and then drive the truck back, walk back to the flag and range the truck. And uh, so you had to pogo it. So, yeah, I mean, just in the short amount of time yeah, five, 10 years. It's, it's been amazing what technology's done to the
0: sport of, of shooting in general. Right. It's crazy though, how far we've come. And to think that five, 10 years ago, I mean, this was, wasn't spoken about or you heard about it. and You didn't believe it. Yeah. It's, it's been fun to be a
1: part of for sure. I've, uh, I've enjoyed every bit of it. And, uh, like I, I've said, I think earlier, it's just, it's a great job to have a lot of people are jealous of what I get to do every day. And, it's definitely got its benefits and, and uh, yeah, seeing how, like with our, we didn't talk about the A-tip, the aluminum tip bullets, because that's uh, a whole nother podcast, but seeing what we've been able to do with that and, and pushing the boundaries of performance uh, specific to long range has just been phenomenal.
0: No, this is awesome, man. You're a wealth of knowledge. I can't wait to get you on for part two. Uh, part two, we're going to talk about impact velocity shot placement placement a little bit more about bullet failure uh part three what kills an animal and then closing summary but man for part one bullet construction and design there's there's a lot of stuff i even learned in this um you're a wealth of knowledge man it was it was awesome having you is there anything else that you kind of wanted to touch on that we uh possibly didn't cover or would otherwise like to shed a little more light on We could go on. I'm sure we could go on, especially you get two
1: like-minded guys that, that it's, it's ironic that your, your company is, is muley free. Cause uh, that's, if I could hunt one animal for the rest of my life, it's, it's mule deer. I'm just (laughs) drawn and fascinated. And yeah, so we could probably talk for, for hours and hours and hours about, yeah, something. But uh, no, I think as far as bullet construction and design without getting really technical on certain aspects of aerodynamics and stuff I, I think we did a did a pretty good job of hitting hitting the wave tops.
0: yeah absolutely yeah you know muleys are my passion i love i love guns and long range i have a you know i'm fortunate enough to have a, a bunch of different calibers and in, in long range and have a little bit of experience shooting different hornady bullets and i've been shooting hornady bullets for a long time now and and I've I've been able to apply them firsthand in the field, in those crosswinds, in in shooting situations where 300 yards, like you told about the story, uh, 300 yards seems like thir- might as well be 1,300 yards due to the angle and the slope, and you know you've got shooting no, position, shooting position. You're on a si- yeah. steep side hill, no way to prone out, uh, if you will. And so it's it's just it's just really fun talking about all these different scenarios because when you're on a when you're laying prone at the gun range or you're sitting from a concrete slab shooting bench and you're just slinging and just murdering steel, I mean, it all seems easy until you get up into the hills where there's crosswinds, weather, uh, adrenaline, and all those other things and components and variables come into place. it's, It's nice to be able to, one, have the experience out there doing it, number two, to be confident in yourself, but number three, know that the equipment you have is going to perform? Absolutely, yeah. You can't if you're
1: questioning any one of those three things at the moment of truth. That that's not a good thing. And it's not that if you are questioning any of those three things that it'll never pan out. But uh, man, you could make it a lot easier on yourself, a lot better for the animal if you've done your due diligence, done your homework, uh, and, and you know you know your equipment, you know yourself, you know your your level of training and practice. And uh, yeah, in this case, the ELDX. Specifically, you don't have to question that. You can you can load that bullet, buy that ammo, and and be confident in it from the word go.
0: Oh man, I I, I second that. Just to compound on that, I mean, I've made I've made less than desirable shots. I am definitely not perfect. I'm far from perfect. Yeah, we perfect. all have. Yeah, and you know what? The one thing I can say though, and sp- this is specific as we're wrapping this up, I have one more short story, but this is specific to the X bullet. I was in Mexico this, this last January, so four or five months ago, well, six months ago now, and I had a mule deer step out at 8.50, and this Mexican, the, the, Mexi- the bottom of the Mexican desert's like, a, it might as well be a jungle. It is so thick, you can't see it. I had one opening to make this shot, and I shot probably an inch or two back of the last rib. Mm. and so i i barely missed the vitals i probably missed liver because it was a little bit low and you you hate to see that happen um Mm. it was a very stressful situation i had some does run out in in front of the buck as i shot that kind of like whoa wasn't expecting that and um was actually just before i shot so that that kind of added to my stress level of course and this this film isn't edited yet but it's it's probably 96 percent complete at this point so you'll see it but i remember specifically telling the guide, like in mexico you have to hunt with a guy you can't just go out there and diy it yourself but um, okay i remember telling he's like let's go in there i'm like dude he just got hit with an x dude he's done just just don't push him we don't run him want him running all over the freaking mexican jungle here don't push him just give him time dude he's screwed the the, the buck's screwed. He, he, he he is going to pass but just let's just not push him yeah i mean i felt bad because i wanted to make a little bit better shot than that obviously but the reality right. is it's hunting it's not a perfect situation and i i made a less than desirable shot not a horrible shot but a less than desirable shot but i knew because of where and how he got hit and what bullet he got hit with he was done it was just a matter of how much time and not pushing him right and to have the confidence to be able to do that even when you don't make, what did you call it, even when you hit rule number one? Or what did you say? How yeah, did, rule number one always beats whatever second place. Yeah, rule number one. Okay, so even, even though we didn't make rule number one, that's why we have the technology and the bullet performance to back it up. So when you do make a mistake, that you're covered. Does that yeah, make sense? A
1: little bit of error budget.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In- yeah. Increase right.
1: in the air budget. Yep, increase that's- in
0: the air budget. And that, and that's what that was for me. That was just a further testimony for me that mm-hmm. man, that air budget, I hit him with the X. I've had so much experience with the X. I knew the X was going to do the job on, in dude, this was a buck of a lifetime, like a two, just a, sh- just a skosh under 200 inches, typical mule deer, oh, wow. like a giant man. of a lifetime. And I knew that I was okay, and I told the guy, "I'm like, dude, trust me. He got hit with an X. Just we'll just chill for four or five hours, and then we're we'll going there and find him. But yeah, let's try to get eyes on him and see if his head's down and done. And we eventually found him and saw his head bobbing a couple hours later. We knew he was toast. So when I went in there, I mean, he was taking his last breaths a few hours later, and I, just, I obviously um, yeah, did the humane sure. thing and, and put another bullet in him, but he he didn't go he didn't go 40 yards from where i first shot it, if, if that tells you anything that's great so yeah, he, he then, was that hurt you know that's that is good to hear and that i
1: i've had a lot of people and i'm sure you have too uh that that beat you up or try to beat you up on shot distance or whatever and i will be the first to say well, obviously i've made bad shots like everybody else but growing up hunting in the whitetail woods uh in nebraska where i grew up i've saw a lot and i mean a lot of bad shots from from people that are sub 100 yards so before yeah before anybody jumps in on the on the shot distance things there's a lot of bad shots taken at close range too. lots of them
0: right so i mean back to where where i first started this podcast off and being a proponent of long range and having a love and a passion for long range with that said on this specific mexico reference that i'm referring to in this shot there's people hunt out of high racks in Mexico because they can't see, okay? I there's limited mountains sometimes in the Mexican desert and you you'll be lucky if you can get some elevation by hiking up to a plateau and being able to glass across the desert. Sure. And I, I so I just so happened in this particular area I was hunting that I was able to get a little bit of elevation, not much, but I had one ridge to stand on, I had one shooting window that took me two hours to clear, and I had one spot that this buck could funnel through where i could make a kill an ethical kill shot and i got lucky because the, bu- the buck rolled through the one opening that i had and i had a split second to be able to execute that shot and it's just being able to know my bullet know my gun have the confidence to make that shot i come home without a buck of a lifetime i mean it's it's that simple yeah and
1: that's what i like yeah right at the beginning of the podcast when i am seen- saying. Sometimes people choose the GMX because they're going to Africa or Alaska. But in this case, yeah, a long-range shot is very much a a realistic potential, and you got to choose a bullet that on a on a hunt where you might not ever go back to hunt in Mexico. You got to you got to choose the right bullet
0: for the job. Yep. And I and and again, in closing here, there's no there was no way for me to get closer. Now most guys would have walked away um, because they couldn't get closer, and that was just too far of a shot. But I know I can make that shot, and I know I can make it. So, I mean, I made the shot. So, anyway, man, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of interesting. It kind of brought this entire part one together full circle, on, on the bullet construction and the design. And dude, thanks for joining us for uh, the Grind Podcast, man. I'm really excited about part two and part three. You're a wealth of knowledge, Mister Ballistician. <laughs> Uh, absolutely glad you had me yeah so we'll, we'll sync up offline here but uh we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and wrap up the podcast thanks for joining us for the grind podcast where we have Seth from Hornady a ballistician a master of a whiz kid as uh Emily <laughs> calls him and uh <laughs> thanks for joining us absolutely thank you right on hey thanks for listening guys be sure to subscribe rate and review um leave us some notes comment Hit Eric up on Instagram. Let us know what you thought. Um, Also, foreshadowing of part two to come. We're going to talk about the heat shield tip, shot placement, and bullet failure. So be sure to tune in. Subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in to part two. Thanks for tuning in.